0: It's time. Time for what, you might ask? It's time to optimize your health and upgrade your life. Cutting-edge research, biohacks, ancestral wisdom, wellness, intuition, and more. This is the Synthesis of Wellness. Your host and biohacker Chloe Porter has a background in engineering, innovation and research. Her analytical background coupled with her journey in overcoming a brain tumor and defeating several chronic illnesses enables her to approach health and wellness in an innovative way. And now more than ever, she is ready to share her biohacking secrets and expose cutting edge research. We are so glad you're here. Welcome to the Synthesis of Wellness podcast.
1: Welcome back to another episode of the Synthesis of Wellness podcast. If you are new, welcome. I am Chloe Porter and I'm an engineer, former laboratory research scientist, now author, and I'm also a model. If you are a returning listener, thanks so much. If you like the podcast, definitely head on over to my Instagram at Synthesis of Wellness where I share health and wellness research almost every single day. Oftentimes I present the information in bite-sized biohacks, and even just routines that I'm into, recipes, etc., so that all the information is easy to read quickly while getting as much value from it as possible. Before we get into the meat of today's episode, if you've been following along for a while, especially over on my socials at Synthesis of Wellness on Instagram, you know that I've been working on a publication for quite some time now, and after diving into and just compiling some amazing research from 200 scientific research studies, working with some incredible doctors, and reviewing the book a myriad of times, I was ready to bring it forth and publish on September fifteenth, 2023. My book, 75 Gut Healing Strategies and Biohacks, is available and out right now. The easiest way to order is probably through Amazon, but you can go through Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, really just wherever books are sold. The book was just released to the public, like I said, on September 15th, which is super exciting. And that day was a great day for me as well. I got to travel and launch my book tour um, in South Carolina, so absolutely loved it. Had a great crowd. Great people got to answer some amazing questions in the Q&A session. It was, all in all, it was an awesome time. But truly, guys, this book could serve as a guide to just having fewer food sensitivities, lowering your GI inflammation, using biohacks to eat the foods you love, combating gut infections, dysbiosis, just optimizing your digestion, and honestly, so much more. There's so much in that book. Okay, so with that said, I will link everything in the show notes, but let's go ahead and get into today's episode. So today, I do want to talk about oxygenation, like oxygenating the cells. More specifically, I want to talk about how low blood oxygen levels can seriously affect one's health. And of course, low levels are commonly seen in biotoxin illness like mold or lime but really just chronic inflammatory conditions in general. So I know a lot of my listeners have connection to chronic inflammatory response syndrome, mold, Lyme, biotoxin, etc. So this is very important, is keeping those cells oxygenated, because oftentimes in that state of chronic inflammation, the cells are very oxygen deprived. So... I want to go through the actual science behind cellular oxygenation and then go into some strategies for increasing it. So, let's just dive right in. First, we have oxygen uptake in the lungs. Essentially, oxygen enters the body through inhalation and travels down the respiratory tract into the alveoli, which are those tiny air sacs in the lungs, and then Those oxygen molecules within those air sacs diffuse across thin walls of the alveolar capillaries, which are small blood vessels surrounding those tiny air sacs. So before getting into what happens next, we need to know that hemoglobin is a protein found inside red blood cells, and it plays a pivotal role in oxygen uptake. More specifically though, each hemoglobin molecule contains four iron atoms. And each of these four iron atoms is actually capable of binding to an oxygen molecule. Now, okay, now that we know that, going back to what happens when this oxygen diffuses across the capillary walls in these little air sacs in our lungs. So as oxygen diffuses into the blood, it binds to these iron atoms in the hemoglobin molecules, forming what is called oxyhemoglobin. Okay, so now that the oxygen has diffused through the capillaries into the blood and is now bound to hemoglobin within the red blood cells, we get to step two, if you want to call it that, which is essentially oxygen transport and release into bodily tissue. It's also important to remember, though, that once oxygen is bound to hemoglobin in those red blood cells it forms a reversible bond and all that means is that oxygen can easily be released when needed so let's go into a little more detail on that so hemoglobin's ability to pick up and release oxygen is actually facilitated by the partial pressure of oxygen in the surrounding tissues in other words As those red blood cells are circulating through the bloodstream, they transport oxygen to various tissues and organs, and when they reach tissues with lower oxygen concentrations, such as muscle cells during physical activity, the high partial pressure of carbon dioxide and low pH, acidic conditions, contribute to the release of oxygen from those hemoglobin molecules. So it's all about those partial pressures to determine where to release it and when. So this process is known as the Bohr effect and it enhances oxygen unloading at those active tissue sites. Now, oxygen diffuses from the red blood cells into surrounding cells where it plays a very vital role in cellular respiration. Remember, this is the biochemical process that generates energy in the form of ATP by oxidizing glucose and other organic molecules. So let's expand on that a little bit more since cellular respiration is really one of the most prominent biochemical pathways that relies on oxygen molecules. And it is very important to note though that oxygen molecules are used for more than just cellular respiration and ATP production. But like I said, let's expand on cellular respiration and the process of converting fuel like glucose or these inorganic molecules, excuse me, organic molecules, into ATP. So within our cells, within our mitochondria, oxygen serves as the final electron acceptor in the ETC or electron transport chain. And as a refresher, the electron transport chain. It's just a series of protein complexes that are embedded within the inner mitochondrial membrane. And as those electrons are passing through these protein complexes, they're actually releasing energy. And that energy is used to pump protons, which are really just hydrogen ions, across the inner mitochondrial membrane. And this is what ultimately creates what's called a proton gradient because we have more on one side than the other. Also, just for context, remember that these electrons and protons are coming from those NADH molecules as well as FADH2 molecules. And NADH, just remember, that's like the reduced version of NAD, popular therapy nowadays. So going back now, Once these molecules, once these NADH and FADH2 molecules donate electrons that can be used to pump protons across the mitochondrial membrane, that proton gradient is formed. And then towards the very end of the electron transport chain, this gradient builds up so much that it generates a flow of protons back into the mitochondrial matrix through what is called ATP synthase. An ATP synthase is just an enzyme that allows for the production of adenosine triphosphate ATP, the cell's primary energy currency. But here is the question. Where do those electrons go? So we know that they were used to pump protons. They were generating that energy that could be used to pump those protons in order to create the proton gradient. But where do they go at the end of the electron transport chain? So at the end of the ETC, the oxygen molecule accepts electrons and protons, really just hydrogen ions, in order to create the metabolic byproduct, which is water. So oxygen is actually accepting those electrons and hydrogen ions and then creating water as that metabolic byproduct of the ATP production process. Okay, so now with that said, what happens when oxygen is not there to accept those electrons? A number of things can happen. First, as you would imagine, ATP production slows down. The electron transport chain relies on that continuous flow of electrons and protons to generate ATP efficiently. So without oxygen as the final electron acceptor, the chain is really just disrupted and leads to a drastic decrease in ATP production. Now, complicating things a bit more, without oxygen to accept electrons, the electron carriers in the chain, such as those NADH and FADH2 molecules we mentioned earlier, also become affected. So essentially, in the absence of oxygen, the process of restoring NADH to NAD plus is actually impaired, which makes sense considering that a poor NAD plus to NADH ratio is associated with mitochondrial dysfunction. That's also why so many people are getting these NAD plus treatments, like the IVs, taking precursor supplements, or even just using NAD plus transdermal patches which I do have an episode earlier, just a few weeks ago, about how I actually create my own NAD plus patches. If you are interested in that, go take a listen. Absolutely loved uh, recording that one. But all in all, without oxygen there, NADH cannot, it's going to become affected because oxygen is accepting those electrons at the end of the chain And so without oxygen there, we've got a backup in the chain, and NADH is what gives those electrons to the chain. So as you can see, that disrupts the entire oxidative phosphorylation process, really. Also, though, aside from a few of these direct effects of low oxygen availability in the mitochondria, the cell as a whole, in the absence of oxygen, will actually begin to shift to anaerobic metabolism. In other words, in the absence of oxygen, cells may shift to lactic acid fermentation in some tissues. So this alternative pathway, it generates ATP, but it's significantly less efficient than that oxidative phosphorylation or aerobic metabolism using the electron transport chain. Okay, so I think that covers... Most all of the foundational knowledge we need to understand the basic significance of oxygen usage within the body, but now, well, let's do a little bit of a side note on the, a side note for the overarching topic of increasing cellular oxygenation, because I want to talk just briefly about the connection between chronic inflammatory response syndrome and hypoxia. So in SIRS, chronic inflammatory response syndrome, or biotoxin illness, think mold, Lyme, etc., there is essentially a cytokine storm going on. We've got so much inflammation within the body, and at first, these high cytokine levels, they could raise something called VEGF or vascular endothelial growth factor, in an attempt to actually oxygenate the body because All that inflammation, oxygen levels falling, cytokine storm, it's a disaster. So the body's trying to compensate by raising VEGF to attempt to oxygenate the body. However, in SIRS, this is very short-lived and vascular endothelial growth factor is quickly suppressed. So oftentimes blood panels for SIRS individuals will come back with low VEGF. And just for context, Vascular endothelial growth factor, it's just a signal protein that stimulates the growth of new blood vessels in order to supply oxygen to the tissues when blood circulation is inadequate, such as in these cases of chronic inflammation. So basically what we have in biotoxin illness is the body not being able to supply its tissues with oxygen. And that leads to a whole host of symptoms, including low energy. Remember that anaerobic or lactic acid metabolism produces only 2 ATP compared to the normal 36 in aerobic respiration. Then there's also brain fog. Think low brain oxygen levels. Then muscle aches, lactic acid metabolism, and so much more. So, so many of these symptoms can actually be kind of directed back at that low oxygen. Now with all this said, the hypoxia and suppressed VEGF is due to the biotoxin illness and cytokine storm within the body. So in that case, treating the underlying biotoxin with the help of a licensed medical professional, of course, should help to increase those oxygen levels within the blood. However, for the sake of today's episode, I want to go through some strategies to increase oxygen levels within the body for the sake of just supporting overall health and wellness and or supporting your body through biotoxin illness recovery. So some of these are extremely basic and just simple practices for good health because again, good health implies that our cells are oxygenated. However, some of these are also a bit more technical biohacks um, for increasing cellular oxygenation. So I'm just going to go through a pretty decent list and then talk briefly about each one. So let's just start with those basics I just mentioned and get those out of the way first. So first is aerobic exercise. No surprise there, of course. Aerobic exercise such as risk walking, jogging, cycling, swimming, it's going to improve the lung function, which will increase oxygen uptake and enhance the efficiency of oxygen delivery to the cells over time. Okay, moving on, staying hydrated. Of course, maintaining proper hydration is crucial for optimal blood volume and circulation, and that will ensure that oxygen is efficiently transported to the cells because remember, oxygen is trampled transported to those cells to those tissues via blood circulation without proper hydration we don't have an optimal blood volume and that impairs circulation okay third consume a balanced diet rich in iron okay this especially makes sense because iron is necessary for the production of that hemoglobin molecule and Hemoglobin, again, is that protein that carries oxygen in red blood cells, like we said earlier. So foods like lean meats, leafy greens, those are all good sources of iron. But also, though, do keep in mind there are differences between heme and non-heme iron depending on the food source. And just for reference, that non-heme iron is more prevalent in those plant sources and possibly not absorbed as well. Just a side note there. Now, another basic strategy here is posture correction. Good posture can help open up the chest and allow for better lung expansion and improved oxygen intake with each breath. So that's a very small tweak and I feel like that's very basic but might not be done every day. It's very easily overlooked whereas something like exercise, hydration, diet those are pretty pretty out in the open. Okay, so as you can see we could go back to many of the other basics as well like sleep, avoiding airborne pollutants, etc. But let's get into a few of the other kind of more technical if you will strategies maybe more biohack inclined. So first, anything that repairs the mitochondria and helps the mitochondria to function more efficiently is going to help the tissue utilize oxygen better. So what are a few quick tips here? Urolithin A for mitophagy, that recycling process for the mitochondria. We've also got methylene blue, Then there's red or infrared light therapy. Also, supplementing with NAD plus precursors or just an NAD plus therapy in general. And those are just a few. Now, aside from supporting the mitochondria, there are some other key strategies as well. So first and foremost, let's talk about hyperbaric oxygen therapy. So hyperbaric oxygen therapy involves breathing in pure oxygen in a pressurized chamber. This increases oxygen solubility within the blood. In other words, at increased pressures, the solubility of oxygen in blood plasma increases significantly. And that means that more oxygen molecules can dissolve in the liquid part of the blood, the plasma, rather than just being carried by those red blood cells. So this oxygen-rich plasma can then reach areas with compromised blood flow, such as damaged tissues or areas with reduced blood supply. So that's actually major because now we're almost increasing that saturation of oxygen and going beyond the body's limit of, well, we can only carry this many oxygen molecules because that's all that the hemoglobin can carry because now we're dissolving it in the blood plasma. So pretty, pretty significant there. Now, moving on, another one is including foods rich in chlorophyll, such as spirulina, for example. Or you could do chlorophyll drops in your water, or just take a chlorophyll supplement. However, I am also a big fan of eating nutrients. So, of course, dark leafy greens, personally a big fan of arugula. But the significance here with chlorophyll is that Some studies have suggested that chlorophyll and chlorophyllin, a water-soluble derivative of chlorophyll, may have the ability to form complexes with oxygen and increase the stability of hemoglobin-oxygen complexes. And this means that chlorophyll may essentially facilitate that binding of oxygen to hemoglobin which, as we stated earlier, is how oxygen gets transported via blood flow and circulation. So very important there. Okay, another one is intermittent hypoxic training. So IHT involves cycling between periods of breathing air with reduced oxygen levels and normal oxygen levels. Some suggest this may enhance the body's adaptation to lower oxygen levels and improve the body's ability to utilize oxygen over time. So one form of this is altitude training. And basically what those athletes are trying to do is get the body to adapt and become more efficient at oxygen utilization. Okay, moving on. Now we also have oxygen concentrators so these are medical devices uh, just like a hyperbaric oxygen therapy chamber could be but many people do use them just for overall wellness as well and they work by extracting oxygen from the surrounding air concentrating it and delivering it to the user often through a mask this is a much smaller device though and some are portable but this is a much smaller device than a huge hyperbaric chamber that you're actually fully inside. So some individuals do like the convenience of that, and especially since you can get a portable device as well. Okay, moving on. This one is very simple, and this is our last one. This is breathwork. Okay, breathwork exercises often focus on maximizing lung capacity and efficiency. And that just means that more of those tiny air sacs within the lungs are involved in the exchanges of gases. And that facilitates the uptake of oxygen from the air into the bloodstream more efficiently. Also, many people just tend to breathe shallowly in general. So using only a smaller portion of their lung capacity is is what I'm saying. So using breath work will encourage deeper and more complete breaths, reducing the dead space in the lungs and allowing for just more efficient oxygen exchange in general. So with all of this said, if you are looking to track any of this with some kind of a data tracker, you can look at a pulse oximeter. So a pulse oximeter can provide delayed but relatively real-time measurements your blood oxygen saturation levels. And you can definitely get a fingertip pulse oximeter from Amazon too for less than $10. So it can certainly be a very handy tool. Okay, with that said, I think that's a great spot to go ahead and wrap up the episode. But also guys, before closing, I hope everyone celebrating has a wonderful Thanksgiving and know that I give thanks and gratitude for each and every one of you. So thank you so much for tuning in today. And if you like this episode, please leave a rating and review. Or go share your stories over on your socials. Tag me in it so I can personally thank you for listening. And with that said, thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye, guys.
0: The content provided by the Synthesis of Wellness LLC via its podcast and domain is for informational purposes only and should not be used as medical advice or as a replacement for medical care. The Synthesis of Wellness podcast, synthesisofwellness.com, the Synthesis of Wellness LLC and Chloe Porter disclaim responsibility from adverse effects resulting from using the content provided. Please seek and consult a licensed physician for your health and medical needs. Furthermore, Chloe Porter and the Synthesis of Wellness podcast are not responsible for the opinions of guests featured on the podcast.